says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. It's our not quite instant reaction podcast given that we were live from uh, Jack's Bar and Grill at the Paramount Leagues Cup last night but due to an array of technical issues we weren't able to actually record our equipment and instead had to use the uh, local PA system with the microphones provided. Still had a blast out there and if you were listening to us live we do appreciate you coming out there. Joining me to break down all the action though out of round 11 is my good mate 60s. Whew, it was a it was a it was a game last night. I'll, I'll put it that way, mate. But uh, Eels did get away with the two competition points, which is what it's all about. At the end of the day, how are you feeling with a night's sleep under your belt, mate? Well, mate, yeah. As you said, what a night it was. Approaching midnight when we finished up our uh, our hosting duties there at the league's club last night. It was probably approaching two o'clock by the time I got to bed last night. I'm going to admit to a little bit of a sleep in this morning, uh, <laughs> consequently down to vote, uh, long queues. I, I I actually went to two polling stations. I, I went to one that I thought would be the best, and I guarantee that the queue was going to take about two hours. So I left there very quickly, went to another place. It was about 25 minutes in there. So we're now, we've got the voting done, out of the way. We're ready to record the podcast. And I'd like to echo what you said as well. Our thanks to everyone that stuck around last night during that period where we had the technical issues with the sound system. And it was such a full house there in Jack's Bar and Grill. I was stunned given the time of night. I know it was a Friday night, but it was a full house. We had Timmy Manor on board. It was fantastic, wasn't it, mate? Oh, and and as I said, thanks to the patience of everyone because basically everyone – hung around waiting well and well it was probably well over an hour by the time we got um kicked off from after full time timmy manor as well our thanks to him for his patience hanging around uh during that period of the technical difficulties but yeah such a great group of people there all those people that came up and um introduced themselves and said g'day and said such kind words it was a great night and you you love moments like that especially after such a an edge of the seat win that the Eels were able to provide last night. As always, mate, let's start with the scoreboard and the game numbers. Parramatta Eels, 22 defeating the Manly Warringah Seagulls, 20 in round 11, obviously taking place on Friday night, the 20th of May. For the Seagulls, it, start, it all started sorry, with Ruben Garrick, who scored in the 13th minute, followed by Christian Tupolotu and Morgan Harper. Then Garrick completed his double in the 50th minute. Thankfully, uh, a noted sharp shooter in sharp shooter, sorry, in most other weeks. Garrick was at 50% yesterday, going two from four off the tee. Many of the Can Eels... I just interrupt? Did you say Shart Schuper? Yeah, I don't know. I got all, I got all mixed up. The old election day blues. But yes, Sharp Shooter. P, then a T. So, it takes a whole new connotation. Yes, it, it does when you're, when you're, when you're, uh, you're shooping the sharts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sean, Sorry about that, mate. Sean it's, it's, it's a beautiful moment. It's a beautiful <laughs> moment. I had to come in on. Sean Kepi was Simbin in the 72nd minute. And we're going to talk about those Simbins because there was plenty of controversy out of this game. I know that Manly fans feel uh, like they were hard done by. I, as a Parramatta fan, feel like we could have gotten more penalties. So we'll get to that later. For the Eels, though, Hayes Perham get an early double, followed by Tom Opachik, and then that crucial Will Penasini try in the right-hand corner in the 77th minute. 
Mitch Moses going free from form the tee, the tee, but most critically hitting that 78, 78th minute conversion on the bad side from a right footer kicker, bringing it back from left to right, an absolutely sensational strike. He also spent 10 minutes in the sin bin uh, with an incident in the 39th minute, which drew a lot of uh, interesting dialogue given that the bunker was able to go back in time for a non-foul play incident, but once again, we'll save that for later. Going through the team stats now, Eels ahead on possession, 53 to 47%. Likewise, time possession about, I want to say, three minutes in Parramatta's, bit over three minutes in Parramatta's favour there. And then completion rates for the Eels, 88%. The Manly's 81%. Most attacking stats favouring the Eels are ahead in runs, run metres, and post-contact metres. Both teams going four line breaks apiece. Eels having 27 tackle breaks. The Manly's 18. Though like last week, we saw the average set distance favouring the opposition. And this time it was pretty significant. Eels a tick under 40, whereas Manly were over 51, which is very, very significant, actually. But, and this is where I suppose it's reflected in the penalty count, time of uh, the time for play the ball speed, mate. Manly down at 3.37%. We're used to our opposition being faster than us, but Eels were at four seconds, 3.99. So Manly able to wallow in the ruck like pigs in mud. And uh, you can see why there were so many penalties, perhaps, because of it. Eels offloading 22 times and Manly's seven uh, both teams uh, not diffusing kicks particularly well. Eels down at 55%, Manly at 70%. Uh, but thankfully, Parramatta's defensive effective, uh, defensive rates were much better this week. Nearly 92% effective tackle rate against Manly's 84.16%. Uh, Eels missing a combined ineffective and missed a count of 30 to Manly, who were closer to, I want to say, 70, just short, uh, shy of 70 there. In terms of negative plays, both teams made seven errors. Parramatta conceded two penalties to Manly's nine. That's going to, I can mention before, it's a big talking point out of this. Also, two ruck infringements for Manly to Parramatta's zero. Both teams used their eight interchanges. Both teams had a head injury assessment, although I was stunned that Andrew Davey was cleared to come back into play. And yeah, that's how the, the macro stats look like, mate, in terms of individual stats. Big days for Gufferson in his 150th and Madison again, both going for 177 metres. Hayes Perham nabbed a couple of line breaks, go with those tries. Uh, in terms of the tackle busting, uh, we just go through here. Guffo, four. Penasini, five. Simonson, four. Madison, four. So some usual uh, names right there. Bailey Simonson's been a sneaky tackle buster in uh, recent weeks too. Uh, and defensively, I know, Matto, you said to me pre-recording was about 32 tackles, zero missed. Yep. Uh, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, 28, one in effective. Dylan Brown, 29, zero missed, zero in effective. So a couple of blokes really standing up tall in a close encounter. Yeah, one of the things that stood out for me was that missed slash uh, ineffective tackle count, and you said that that combined total was around 30. Now, the Eels have been looking at a count that's been around the, between the 60 and mm. 70 mark this season, so that is a significant improvement. Now, it doesn't exclude bad reads where yeah. the team has well, you don't got get around the outside. Anywhere near close enough to make a tackle, exactly, and that happens. Yeah, so and and we did have Manly taking prime opportunity of not just Parramatta's compacted defence, but it was the compacted defence on the back of a break, especially in those the, the first couple of tries that they scored. And you know, if a, every team employs that compacted defence, and you see the it's like a dare to the opposition, go for the Harbour Bridge pass, go for the big pass to get around us because nailing that pass can be difficult for teams. It's a challenge to make sure you throw a pass that isn't forward in the first instance, but then to actually 
get it and land it in such a way that the winger is in a position not just to score a try, but not to get hammered and put over the sideline. So you can see what the tactic is with a lot of teams now. And the teams that are doing really well in executing against those compact defences, because when, when we say compact, they're compact and then they slide across. So the teams that do really well uh, with that do a great job of drawing that compacted defence, sometimes going off the wrong foot. Uh, and you can see when that tries on, can't you? When the, with the numbering, you just look at it and you go, "Okay, it's on here." It's the, <laughs> yep. the, the oh, you know man, that we, the we obviously sit in the same section, and I think as a collective, you could just see us go, "Oh no!" Like you could just yeah. could see it brewing. And um, you know, to Dally Cherry Evans' credit for that Christian Tupolotu pass, he threw a cracking. I think it was essentially a no look, uh, triple cutout or double cutout, uh, way across the face. And that landed right in the money for Torpolo to the touchdown in the right-hand corner. But yeah, Manly were effective at exploiting those edges, especially when Mitchell Moses was out. But likewise, Parramatta Eel, the Parramatta Eels were running training runs down Manly's right edge too. Hayes Perham going over untouched twice for very uh, straightforward tries for anywhere. Yeah, and that's where I was speaking about with a lot of the teams are offering opportunities out yeah, wide. It's and about you, opportunity you costs. You, you, essentially, you're selling out through the middle because you don't want to concede 50 or 60 metres a set easily and you're daring your opponents to go around you. One thing that Manly does well, and we saw it last night, was that they are very good at getting around in the in the middle of the field. They're not waiting to get down into the red zone before throwing some of those wider plays. Mm-hmm. They're very good, and they've traditionally been very good at getting around the outside of Parramatta midfield. And what, what makes and, Manly so dangerous conventionally against the Eels in recent times is that they can mix up that rapid expansion game with those outside inside ruck plays. And so if you start getting uh, sort of not, not not sloppy, but you're cheating or playing for that expansive play, they'll just pin you through the middle of Tom Tobojevic or Daly Cherevans coming back through the ruck. Yeah, absolutely. And, we, and we, we did a good job on that in this game for the most part, except for that one play where I think it was Reg and, and Mitch uh, split at marker and just <laughs> opened up the way for uh, is it Croker that was their dummy half today or yesterday? Yeah, yeah, Lock and Croker to go through. Yeah, I want I, now. I want to start off with first of all a bit of praise for Manly, and then I want to offer another opinion as well. So first of all, the Manly that we saw last night was nothing like the Manly that had been there the previous week. It was um, such a different beast, and I started getting messages from different people about Parramatta playing teams into form. And it's a it's a hackneyed line that a lot of people feel when a team that hasn't performed well in the in previous weeks seems to perform well against Parramatta. BA had an observation on it in the post-match presser, which is that teams lift to play the Eels. Mm-hmm. And looking at last night, there is nothing about what Parramatta did that would qualify for playing a team into form using that because and I mean what does that what does that really mean does that like if if I was to look at the game against the Tigers where we didn't play particularly well and the Tigers might have got some confidence out of that and gone on a bit of a run now they did win the they did win the next week but then came crashing back to earth after that but if they if they started to work into the form on on confidence from a subpar Parramatta effort, 
then maybe you could think about using a, a phrase like that. However, last night, Manly turned up to play. There is little question about that. They played a very physical game. They played a smart game with their attacking football and they were executing very well. The few opportunities that they got, they were able to get across the line. So full marks to them for that. And we have to acknowledge when an opposition team plays well. Uh, BA did that in the presser again last night, acknowledged Manly's play. Now let's go to the other side of the fence. And I'm going to start off with the first contrast, which was Des Hasler. <laughs> His was one of the more diabolical press conferences that I've seen. Mr. As, what do they call him? The mad professor or what have you. Mate, he, I've got very little time for him in his relationship with the media. Now, I don't uh, – now, I'm not treating the media with any any kid gloves there for how uh, a, a, a coach or players should speak to them. However, the way that he mumbles and grumbles his way through a press conference, the way that he uses the press conference – to get an agenda out there about uh, what had transpired in a match, making no shortage of excuses, giving no credit to the opposition. He was carrying on about the penalty count. You touched on this before. We're watching it live. Our take immediately uh, during the game and afterwards was that penalty count could have easily doubled. Such was the niggle and the grubbiness. We, that we was were seeing double and triple field. efforts in the ruck to slow down the Parramatta play the ball. And Cummings was like, oh, yeah, it's okay, you know. And that's why yeah, the Eels had a four-second play the ball speed. Yes, and and that tactic nearly worked. Now, we've seen teams employ this St. method George. to get over the mm -hmm. Eels multiple times in the past. And uh, first thing comes to mind was St. George getting a win out of the box last yep. year against us. Um, Manly's win over us last year at, at – uh, Bankwest Stadium. Uh, there's been a number of a number of matches where a team has gone for the slowing down, the grubbiness in the tackles, the niggle, and it's put Parramatta off their game. Now, if Parramatta's not good enough to be on their game based on that, well, so you know that's a criticism of us. I'm not I'm not pointing that out as an excuse in any way for the Eels because you've got to be better to overcome it. So last night, that tactic nearly worked for Manly. It got them to the last 90 seconds of the game where they were prepared in that final few minutes to throw caution to the wind with laying over the tackles, hitting high, uh, just all manner of grubbiness in the, in the uh, defensive line. And it nearly got them through because they were daring the referee penalise us again, give six tackles again. We don't care where this is the path that we're on. And that was very much what we saw. And uh, like, like I said, Cummings just had an all-round bad game. I was speaking to you through the course of the game last night saying the Parramatta Eels got away with quite a few forward passes, one of which was immediately rectified by a dumb Ryan Madison offload that led to, to manly points in the second half. But... Just the state of officiating in a role, if we're going to keep painting over the cracks there and keep pretending like the, the touchies and the main officials in the bunker aren't getting increasingly worse on a year-by-year, round-by-round basis, 
and it's not just against the Parramatta Eels. Like I said, it's it's a general thing. There are serious issues with the NRL officialdom, and they're not getting fixed. And we we well, saw we did have that we did have that amusing moment during the New South Wales Cup game. I say amusing, but the Blacktown Workers Sea Eagles scored a try, which I would have said came undoubtedly off an obstruction. No, no, play. it was the penalty before half time. It wasn't the try. It, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, they they had the um, uh, uh, the obstruct. Yeah, that's right. Segiara came down their left came edge. Off yeah, and, yeah. And, and ran blatantly behind a player, knew he'd run behind a player to, to the left, jogs back to the right and passes, and the referee's just like, oh, do I penalise it? No, play on. And then they end up getting a penalty on that same play for, I don't know if it was a high contact or something else, right in front of the post on the stroke of half time for an easy two points. And yeah, yeah it just... Yeah. But where, where it was amusing, and, and this is just to to let people in on it um we were in the we were sitting in the corner uh, away from our normal seats we we're over in the, near the uh Parramatta members, uh, lounge. members bar members lounge over in uh Combank Stadium and people might not be aware of this but there is actually a dedicated area where where members can go and join um, the corporate facilities yeah well they they it's next to the corporate you don't actually get corporate facilities no, no, but, but it, it's next to the it's, it's, it's adjoining, you've, you've got exactly. an area where you can sort of um kick back a little bit um anyway uh our our good friend para through and through was uh he lost it a little bit he's not a greatest fan of the uh officiating and he with the with no, uh, no, no curse words mind you just in front of us yeah. but with the sideline official just in front of us he called out how do you blokes miss these things and the uh, the touch he gave a shrug of the shoulders and a laugh, and and then he's given it both barrels. No, it's not funny. <laughs> You're missing it all the time. And then uh, we saw we then saw the sideline official run when he ran behind the post, ready for the kick. Uh, immediately go for a chat with his mate about uh, we would have to assume about uh, what he what he just heard from us on the on the <laughs> sideline or from Jeff on the sideline about missing obstruction calls and uh, yeah it was just it was just an interesting moment just to get that reaction of the shrug of the but it's also like, it's also me. embryonic of the the wider issues facing the official ranks in that people do want change in the refs but it just feels like the quality isn't below they're below the NRL level guys like, yeah look this isn't a, this isn't a, a a ref bashing in any way because I've said it time and time again. The standard of officials that we have in the modern day game is far and away above but what the given more those resources an older vintage would have saw in the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, even even into the nineties. They're they're under a lot more scrutiny than they have been, but we can't ignore some of the basics that are that are being missed. And especially some of the calls that are being made uh, by bunker officials, where it's the average person on the street can see what's just happened, and they manage to find something different for the life of me, which oftentimes uh, defies common sense and defies the rules as we understand it. It's even been picked up uh, post match by Annesley for some of the things that they've got wrong, and they shouldn't get it wrong. I mean, we're yes, human error is involved, but we're talking about with bunker officials that they have the opportunity to, with time, take away the got speed time of the game on their side, mm -hmm. and different angles where they can see that something's occurred. I mean, we can get frustrated, and and rightly so, when there's 
um, knock-ons that are missed or forward passes that are missed. But in the heat of the in the heat of the battle, you're going to allow for a certain amount of human error, and I don't want human error to be eliminated from uh, from football because it's impossible. If you players make mistakes, coaches make mistakes. It is just part of sport. And if you took that out of sport, would it really be sport? I don't think so. But it's part of the theatre of of uh, of any sort of competitive sport. Is you're going to get errors that are made from every participant out there. Supporters get it wrong in how they see the game. <laughs> we know it ourselves. We know it with with uh, our opinions. We know it with the opinions expressed to us, how different everyone views the game. So, uh, But last night, as you said, it was, um, it, it was breathtaking the, uh, the way that the ref was continually challenged to make the calls, and I honestly feel that if the crowd wasn't baying like they were last night to draw attention to things, and if there weren't injuries that were coming up from some of the plays, that it was play on. And and but now we're even more dumbfounded because what's happened in the in the charge sheets today. So Olakwatu managed to escape any charge. What looked like a potential hip drop on Junior Palo, uh, which led to Junior getting up very gingerly. But more confusingly, he only got a fine for what was a legit wrestling, like we're talking like WWE-type neckbreaker on Quinton Gufferson, where it was one of the most serious crush tackles I've seen in a long time. Um, but, yeah, only a fine. Meanwhile, Sean Kepi only attracted a fine for uh, dropping a Parramatta eel on his head with that driving tackle. And Christian Tuopolotu got no charge for uh, his tackle on Hayes Perham uh, in the corner in that sequence of penalties that Manly gave away. So can we assume now that if a player is falling in the tackle, that that's okay? You can clobber them in, in the head. This is what gets me so confused because the NRL clearly flip-flopping on whether it's a mitigating factor or not. They just need to decide whether... If you if a player slips, that's on the defender to to adjust, even if it's difficult. Or if we're going to have you know common sense apply across all instances, and it is a mitigating factor because I'm not, I've got no issues with being a mitigating factor. But we saw in the past for Parramatta in particular, we've had Junior Barlow get absolutely hammered by the judiciary when they've dubbed it uh, a player slipping is not a mitigating factor in the tackle. Yeah, well, it's it's clearly, and and I'm like you. I think you have to use common sense with a player falling into a, a tackle. There's that terrific meme of Tedesco running <laughs> the last thing at a low angle with it, you know, and it says, and the meme says, the last thing a player sees before a long suspension, and, and that it makes me laugh every time I see it, and it's and it's so true. If you've got someone that suddenly drops down to around uh, stomach height that you're trying to tackle, and they're leading and they're leaning forward leading with their head i i don't know how they could expect to not get uh, a, an awkward tackle on them or one that connects what with what's deemed to be high and you can't by virtue of the position of your body make it impossible for a player to execute a tackle so if you're leaning forward like that you you're basically asking a player tackling you 
to dive at your ankles and get underneath your body diving at your ankles to be able to execute a tackle. Mm-hmm. And that's just wrong because players aren't going to do that. The, not the way that rugby league is played these days, not the way that tackling is drilled these days, where the majority of tackles are, are executed in a near upright position. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not frustrated that Tuapuata got off there as long as they're consistent in the application of that mitigating circumstances rule. But the fact that Olakawatu got essentially nothing for the neck breaker on Gufferson blows my mind. Uh, but then again, this is the same club that had to deal with Nelson and Sofa Solomona getting nothing for absolutely clobbering poor Makatoa in the head. So it just seems like the, the jersey that you wear is important when it comes to the MRC and judiciary. Oh, be I'm, cool. I'm, I'm, then, going out, I'm going out there and I'm putting it on record. Uh, given what happens with Junior in the judiciary, given what happened with Nelson, Nelson Sofa Solomona in the judiciary, I'm... I, I am going to say that the, the the way the processes are right now, there is a serious issue because there, there is no consistency based on which team is getting the course. Post now, there, there are people out there who get frustrated when Parramatta doesn't challenge charges or judiciary calls. People may not be aware of this, but Kai Rodwell received a multi-week suspension from the New South Wales Cup. And believe me, Kai Rodwell was in contention to be called up to NRL level as soon as the we hit round 11. He, he was in very good form for the New South Wales Cup. Anyway, he got a multi-week suspension. He was charged. Parramatta decided that they had all the evidence to fight it. They felt that they had a very strong case. No. Nah. There is a track record of the Parramatta Reels whenever they go in to challenge and they feel they've got the evidence and they have a very good case on their side, that it it never works out well. So that's why you often see the Eels deciding to I, I take was one of those voices, 60s. I was one of those guys that was frustrated that we don't challenge stuff enough. And then I saw the light. <laughs> it's just, it, there is enough evidence to suggest that there is literally no benefit for the Parramatta Eels to contest charges. No, no, it's just... It, now, whether that's a case of we don't present our cases well enough, our our defence well enough. We can't answer that because we're not down there seeing what is presented. But the Eels are hiring the same sort of lawyers that the Roosters hire, highly credentialed, whether they're Queen's Council or similar, you know, similar stature lawyers. And the Roosters always get the almost always get the benefit when it goes to contesting. But for the Paramount Eels, we we know we're hiring qualified defendants, but it just doesn't work for us. I'm I'm trying I'm trying to be the devil's advocate here in 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 not suggesting that there is a bias against the eels when they're they're presenting the case and I and I'd I'd like to think that that's that that is the case. What can't be ignored is that we don't have a good track record when we go down to uh, challenge a a charge against the eels. And for those people who get frustrated that the eels don't go in there and um, launch a defense it's it's basically because every time that we've done it we've ended up with a a longer suspension for the players concerned so they just take the guilty plea conversely mate you know who do who does have a good track record when it comes to challenging tell me mitchell moses the challenge god himself once again gets a a terrible call overturned for the Parramatta eels with a phantom crusher uh, in a very, it was actually a, like an important moment in the second half. Like it was in terms of arresting momentum for Manly, 
he uh, was adamant there was no no one near the neck for a manly player who stayed down for whatever reason for a sore leg. I think it was like I'm not saying he was faking a sore leg. I think he had a sore leg, and coming sort of is confused and says, "Okay, I'll blow blow a penalty," and yeah, he he uh, says, "Nope, there was no crusher, challenge it," and he is right. And every time he goes up to referee saying, "I'm going to challenge," oh, I'm pretty confident now. Here's a is a you talk about how props and wingers shouldn't be allowed to challenge because they often get it wrong. If there's a player on the Parramatta's roster that I trust with a a challenge call, even if it seems bizarre, it is Mitchell Moses because he gets them almost always right. You know when he's going to get it right too because the moment the decision's made, he comes charging over <laughs> going, no, 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 challenge. Like it's almost immediate. There's no discussion that goes on. He just charges straight over and um, and says we need to challenge this. Now, Gutherson's supposed to be the one, isn't he, that officially does it, but the moment that um, Moses goes over there calling out for the challenge, then then that decision is made straight away. And and as you said, he is someone who's been getting it right. So um, now just just moving on with our analysis of the game last night, mate, the um, getting down to that last 90 seconds, the uh, there's something that I do want to uh, praise the Seagulls for. Uh, their kickoffs in first grade. Mm. That that kickoff to get possession back, and it's it's something that I know a, a certain person that is known to the Cumberland throw advocates continually, <laughs> which is that grubber kick smashed at the sideline, where it's near impossible to stop, especially if you get that awkward bounce from those particular grubber kicks. More teams should be employing it because. There was, virtually, there was literally no way of stopping uh, it unless the it, eels. It's funny because up. I agree with you 100. That squib grubber is an absolute terror to deal with. But there was also a cautionary tale in the New South Wales Cup game before with, oh, yeah. <laughs> with the dropouts, where Manly tried a, a similar result or a similar to affect a similar result from the line dropouts twice in a game with a squib drop kick, and they got it horribly wrong twice. Yeah. Cherry Evans but obviously that, that's, a much that's much better individual at executing. That was trying to do that off a drop kick. <laughs> now I don't know about you, mate, but even even in the the little bit of footy that that I played as a kid, or in the in the uh, extras or before game where you muck around with kicking the footy and what have you, the one thing that I would and I used to love a drop kick because that that was the conversions in the back in the day. All all kicks were taken by drop kick was the last thing I would ever attempt would have been a, a grubber off a drop kick. It was just so hard to execute to get over the top of it and get that sort of bounce. You, you know that with the way that most players kick a, kick a drop kick nowadays where you're using the instep virtually of the foot mm. for the, the contact um, or around the ball of the foot, uh, back in the day it was almost like a toe poke, like the – like the old um, uh, conversion kicks off the off the tee, it was all toe poking. Even with drop kicks, now it's that you know getting a bit side onto it. And if you're going for that grubber from there to go barely ten meters, like, good luck off a drop kick. My goodness! And didn't they get it horribly wrong? They that their kicks were nearly going closer to their try line than it was to the mm. ten meter line, but. Yep. 
you know, it's um, I, I, but I do want to congratulate the Sea Eagles again on that because there are moments where they are innovative like that. And um, yep. and Cherry Evans is a master with oh, the, he's, with a, the he's a pro's pro when it comes to all, all those little things for a playmaker and a leader. Yeah, yeah, it's we we can go crook about some of the things that they were doing there last night, and people who go crook over the years about Daily Cherry Evans. But I'll tell you one thing, the bloke is a complete professional out there on the field and I would hate to think how Manly would perform or would have been performing in the last few years without without him leading them around there because we know that they'd be um, spending maybe half their season without Tommy Turbo for a start. So he's been the, the man that's carried the, the team on his shoulders for a lot of that period and... When you see him firsthand live at a match, I don't know if television does it justice, to be honest. And you you have to call players from the opposition team. You have to give them credit where credit oh, is due. Look, and he's someone that absolutely deserves o- outside that. Outside the fact that he's a filthy manly player and a disgusting Queenslander, which are two legitimate gripes to have with him, obviously. <laughs> I, think, I think the only fan base that should really have an issue with Daly Chairman's at this point is the Gold Coast Titans after that infamous backflip. Otherwise... Even if he is a manly player, you have to have a certain level of respect as a competitor because that's what he is. He is just, a, like I said, a pro's pro. Uh, he's a very good leader, speaks fantastically uh, in post-match press conferences, very eloquent. And yeah, like I said, if he wasn't a manly player and a Queenslander, I'd have even higher respect for him. Did he look awkward sitting beside Des last night when Des it's was such, going such off? A, I mean, it's such a hilarious contrast. Echoed, <laughs> I know that he, I know that he echoed Des's thoughts. But just as he was sitting there, maybe he, he just had the shits about the game. <laughs> but as he was sitting there, he just had this look on his face like, I don't really want to be here while this is all being discussed. It, it just, yeah, that was that was certainly how he looked. Um, didn't BA look relaxed for a bloke yeah, whose I mean, team just got up in the last 90 seconds? I think it comes back to that message that he tried to send earlier in the season where you know sometimes you just have to enjoy a win for it being a win. And this is a game where we were frustrated watching the stands. There were times where the Parramatta Eels, even if they played solid football, there were some real dubious football IQ options taken, you know, just whether we were playing too many short balls in the red zone, Mitch putting a, a sort of a stabbed grubber kick ahead instead of just a low grubber kick for uh, allowing uh, Schuster to intercept the ball on the line. There's just always little bits and pieces that added up. But... At the end of the day, the Eels showed character, they showed resilience, they fought back, and you could talk about, I mean, I know the narrative amongst neutrals and Manly fans that will manage back into the game, which we've already addressed, feeling that there could have been more penalties. But they, Managed back into the yeah, game. Yeah, they, they stuck to their guns, they they went to what worked with them with a power, sort of power play, you know, through the middle, some good offloads, been able to attack the edges on the back of that, and it's what got them home with Mitchell Moses showing ice in his veins that conversion, and... I, I respect that Brad was just he knew what took it for what it was. It was a, a big yeah. win before the bye, before another game in hand until you get that precious week off. Now I want to throw another question to you, just as an overall impression about last night. I spoke earlier about um, getting a number of messages about uh, the Eels let playing another team into form. Um, that uh, that we were lucky to scrape through. It was, uh, a, as you know, mate. We're, we're my 
my phone goes off <laughs> we're sitting knee to knee because you know the seating can be a bit tight sometimes and i felt your phone buzzing every 10 to 15 seconds yeah it's and and for um uh, you know a lot there's there's quite a few people who have 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 my phone number and it was it was everything from uh, from relatives through to mates that uh, were sending uh, text after text through the game and and people people generally know that I don't get to I don't go to respond to them until after the game because if I was responding to the text messages wouldn't be that were, were coming from people I actually wouldn't be watching the game because for if if it was one person texting me and I was answering back that that that'd be no dramas and it's probably no dramas for for people who text me um, and I'm not having a go, but and I want to be clear for people who are listening who do send me messages. Um, I'm not having a go at getting messages during the game. It's 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 understandable. That's what people who watch the footy do. You know, you send off a, a quick message. But when when I'm getting you know from uh, twenty or thirty people mm-hmm. text messages, it, it as you say, it just goes off. The phone just continually goes during the game. So anyway, I'm getting I'm. I'm getting all the the messages that are coming through, and there was a there was a theme in it, which was basically that we were that we were lucky that um, we played the other team into form, etc. etc. Et I wonder then, and this is the question: Do you think it was one of those games where to get a true impression of the game that you have to watch the replay? Because when you're riding the emotion during the game as an Eels supporter and you're there and you're expecting not maybe not a comfortable win, but you're not expecting to be troubled till the last 90 seconds, let's say, uh, and having to I mean, get over the opposition. I, I know I jokingly tipped a big win in our preview podcast, but to think that Manly wouldn't turn up for a Parramatta game is kind of asinine for mine. Look at recent history. They've been, no matter how good or bad they've been travelling the season, they've been absolutely pumped to play the Parramatta Eels. And it was no different this week. They came off a shellacking in mid, in Magic Ground, not Magic Ground, where the Broncos, who are a rising team, but absolutely put the cleaners from, 38-0. So even even just considering that, they would have been bouncing back. They came to play. They they were contesting every ruck. Like I talked about those spawning tactics. That takes a toll physically. Like they were, they were getting in there in numbers and tackles, driving us back. They clearly wanted the win. And that's why... I, you know, saying that it was a lucky win for the Eels sort of almost does a disservice to our efforts to get back into this game. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it was just something that I was wondering, as I said, because I think that um that sense of um expecting better is maybe discounting what the opposition might bring in any um uh, in any contest that we that we have, and we I spoke about it before, where I don't think it's a matter of playing teams into form. It's I think it is what BA said in the in the post match presser that there are teams that are lifting, and I think we also spoke about it last night in the leagues club uh, presentation that there are teams who are maybe just starting to get on the rise. They're starting to get a little bit of a surge. Uh, when the draw places us against them. And that's just the luck of the draw when it happens, I guess. I mean, you look at the Roosters game. You would have loved to have been for the Eels to have drawn the Roosters in the week where they were drawn to play Canterbury. Yeah. Where they basically didn't turn up against Canterbury. And there would be just as many questions asked of the Roosters with some of their 
uh, earlier performances this year where they lost to the Knights, where they lost to the Bulldogs. Who else did they lose Dragons. to? There was a, well, there was a, the Dragons, and and also they uh, struggled to get a couple of other wins. So um, it's I'm quite happy to be seven and four at this stage of the season, still continuing our run of top eight placing that's been going since round one in 2019. And obviously a shout out to our round one performances because <laughs> the way you went, you know, the way you end that streak is to lose in the first round in any particular year. That's, that's the end of your streak for a start. Um, but we're continuing that, that trend and looking at what's ahead. We spoke about it last night. The ca- upcoming Canberra game is really critical because it's almost like a four-point game, isn't it? Because you've got the bye straight away after it, where you every and every team gets it. But if you get a win before the bye, and you're picking up the four points over a period where you've only got one game, it really feels like it's a four-point game, and especially if the troops we have coming back post bye. Yeah. So if the eels, if the eels can get this win over Canberra. By the time they're playing their next match, they'll be on uh, eighteen competition points, very good, which is a very solid position to be, and uh, a lot more home games than yeah. uh, matches away from. I was just Combex. looking at our schedule for the post game show, and it's going to be very busy. We get clusters of home games now on the way back, so it's going to be very fun. Yeah, well, look again. I want to talk about how amazing it was last night because just to have that roll up of people there after 11 o'clock at night in Jack's Bar and Grill at Paraleagues in there having a having a drink having a feed and listening to um, a bit of talk about the Parramatta yeah, Reels. Well, like it, I said we had Timmy Manor on we had Fletch on as well which was really fun um, having his second appearance on the tip sheet did a, a bang up job in front of a packed live audience so, yeah, lots of fun was had last night, and we're super appreciative of everyone that came out and said hello. Yeah, so just before we wrap up, mate, we've got a couple of things. First of all, you let's go through the 3-2-1 again, because we did it last night, but uh, we didn't have anything that we were able to record. So we'll do the 3-2-1, and then we'll just give a quick take on the New South Wales Cup. Uh, before we get there, though, just a quick mention. Um, Eels do have a question mark over Paul Maradonia Corey coming out of this game. He uh, left the game after, I want to say, 15, 20 minutes and didn't come back. So we'll wait and see any official word on that. It'd be just his luck to come back and play a game and get hurt again. Um, what was his official time of play? One second. He got... No, it's fantasy points. He got 29 minutes. So maybe he wasn't hurt. I don't know. But there was some talk about syndesmosis on social media, I think. So have to wait and see there. But let's get on to the 3-2-1. Um, be interesting to see if we have the same opinions after a night's rest. We went for different plays for our three. Um, I know you went for a forward. I went for a back. Do you still stand by your three points? Well, I believe my three points was for Ice mm-hmm. last night. So, in his fifty, uh, sorry, seventy was seventy minutes on the field, uh, one hundred and thirty-four run meters, and this time he's in the middle with with his efforts last night. Uh, 56 post-contact, 35 tackles, had three misses. But, he, look, his carries 
he was carrying manly players quite often. Oh, he, he's tough. That. He plays so tough, doesn't he? Yeah. So it was he was asked to play a different game last night, and he responded superbly. So I'm sticking with my three points for him. Yeah, I went for Quinton Gufferson, the milestone man himself. We mentioned earlier in the podcast he equal topped the run meters, although he was a little bit more efficient for his 177 versus Ryan Madison, 22 carries versus 24. Added a line break assist and a try assist of his four tackle breaks and three offloads. Um, I thought it was just a barring one moment where uh, I think it was the first, I want to say it was, no, first, must be in the second uh, try to the winger, uh, I'm having a break, Ruben Garrick where uh, there was a nice kick ahead by four and Guffo had his ankles a little bit broken after misreading which way the play was going. I still felt like in a, in a milestone game, uh, particularly his own milestone game, he stood up and played very uh, very well. Yeah, I had him for my two points last night uh, straight after the game and I'm not going to change that. You, you're looking at that uh, 177 run metres and I, I just thought he was Mr. Everywhere again last night. Um Maybe his general play kicking game is something that he needs to work on a little bit. Well, that that uh, was interesting. One, we, didn't, we didn't talk about it, but that passage play without Mitchell Moses was enlightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we can see that uh, there's a reason why Mitch Moses takes uh, most of the kicks, and really, it's a, a scenario where. Mitch is always going to do that unless there's ever a scenario where Dylan Brown's out injured and, and Jake Arthur's called in because Jake's got quite a solid kicking game. But it's there's a reason why Mitch Moses takes the kick because he has the best kicking game, especially, well, the best long kicking game in the Eels. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an ugly period. And I think the one uh, territorial kick that, Gutho went for he absolutely shanked it, yeah, and it went, just went up in the air, all awkward. And uh, I think by the time Manly retrieved the ball, that it was they were almost back at where the kick was taken from. Mm-hmm. Um, your two points last night, mate. Yeah, I went for the other man that was equal top of the meterage, and he's just been the sort of Mister Parramatta across the last I want to say six weeks now. He's been so good. He's off contract. Neil's need to get him retained. Uh, Ryan Madison is just on an absolute tear. You'd argue that his game last night was one of his quieter performances in the last six weeks. Still goes for nearly 180 metres, breaks a whole handful of tackles and helps set up the game-winning try. Uh, The man is just making a huge difference. And even though he was named the start and didn't start this week, he's ostensibly the number one lock forward in the team now. He, He doesn't necessarily start, but he comes on, plays 50 to 60 minutes, if not more. And it just the difference he makes when he's in rotation for the forwards is huge. Yeah, so I've gone to Matto for my one point for all the things that you've just said there. I've written a post about the importance of the Eels retaining him. I don't. I, I won't be backing away from from that. He's in rare form. He's and this is something that I said in that post. Right now, Ryan Madison is the arguably the, the most valuable contributor to the pack. If 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 he's not, he's amongst the the top two on a consistent yeah, on, on a game-to-game basis. It might be Ice one game where he has a huge game, but it's also Maddo. It might be Junior another game, but it's also Maddo. He is just, yeah, he has just been an absolute pillar for not just the forward pack, but the entire team. 
Yeah, and and this is the point that I want to make. He's being that contributor in a pack which has not yet been impacted by the departures which we know are coming. Yep. So if he's proving to be that valuable in a pack where where ostensibly there should be a lot of competition to be the, one of the best performers out on the field, how valuable would he be to be retained when we are going to lose? We've, uh, we've, we've already got a glimpse at half of it too because we've had no Murata for the vast majority of this season, meaning that Madison's been the sole impact forward on the bench when we're so used to Murata being an absolute weapon in that capacity. And he's, he's shouldered the load. He has turned games on their head off the bench as that impact forward. So I, and there will you. be and there will be no Murata to turn to as an option. Oh, Maddo's not here. Well, at least we have got Murata. No Murata next year. No Ice next mm-hmm. year. So you, you have to think to yourself. Well, this is this is going to be uh, a, a challenge for players to step up. Now, I'm not saying that the the Eels won't have players in the New South Wales Cup team that are capable. Yeah, of we, playing we've got some guys we, we've got our eyes on. It, look, we, I mean, we're and. And you notice I hadn't been I hadn't been tearing my hair out about players that we'd lost because there's there's salary cap reasons behind all of this, and I'm sure if we lose Madison, that there will be fingers pointed towards the salary cap issues as a reason why we couldn't keep him. But we are now deep deep into losing players due to salary cap reasons, and I know there's been upgrades, and I'm not privy to the figures that are there, but there's been upgrades, there's been extensions. There's players that are coming through that are that are going to be moved from you know say a development contract to a to a an NRL contract. There's there's players who were virtually on like rookie deals and have will will be getting natural upgrades there. However, I cannot escape from the fact that there are significant departures from the club, and there at this stage there isn't significant additions that we know of. There may well be. The Eels have become expert, and rightly so, in keeping negotiations quiet. But if we're in a situation where we can't extend Madison due to salary cap reasons, it would have to be that another club's come in and really trumped us Mm -hmm. in, in terms of what we... Value Matto at at a and I'm talking about a decent valuation of Matto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, not a not a well, he's a a three fifty or four hundred or four fifty thousand dollar player. Last year, the Madis- the Ryan Madison that was impacted by concussions and had almost no confidence. I don't think if he had have been released last year, if he had have retired last year, I don't know that it would have raised a single eyebrow amongst Eels supporters. I think it would have been, well, look, it's a shame that uh, we couldn't see the best of Ryan Madison and we wish him well. This year, we're seeing the very best of Ryan he's, Madison. He's touching that ceiling. Ever. He's showing you the player that we knew he could be. And, I mean, it's obviously a huge... I'm not sure the correct way, not like a vote of confidence or anything like that. It, it is so rewarding as a fan to see him be able to realise he's you know, the player that he should be or could be. And that's not... a, a uh, attack on his efforts. It just shows you how impactful concussions can be. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's understandable. I mean, that was a that was a horrible 
hit that he, he he had a history of concussions, and then we had that Kafusi shot on him last yep. year, which and was then uh, in the Tigers, I think Luciano Lailua got him as well uh, with a with a run. I think there was a, a, a run, but that that Kafusi hit was disgusting, uh, you know, and, and warranted a long long suspension that didn't come, which bodes back to my talk about the judiciary and the match review committee. By the way, yeah, yeah, so. Uh, bottom line is we're we're seeing the very best and on a consistent basis of Ryan Madison, and I'm I'm hoping that there's a priority placed on his contract uh, uh, renewal. It's, and it's, it's easy to forget, but he's a Parramatta boy. He is Parramatta through and through. Came through the Wentworth system. Wentworth Fields system system was in our cup team that fell one game short of the grand final. Back in 2014, I, I would go on record as saying he wants to be here. He wants to be a key part of a premiership push for the Parramatta Eels and create that own slice of history for that playing group. Uh, look, it'd be that'd be my thought as well. Is well, that look, his look, preference would be to stay? Look, look at last night. We were there for the post game on the field. Obviously, we did the post game show at the club. But who was the first player that literally, with a smile on his, a huge grin on his face, ran around the entire? Outer ring of the stadium to greet fans. Yeah, people may not be aware of this, but there was probably, I think, a total of three players who went around the perimeter of the entire perimeter of the stadium to thank supporters for being there. Uh, there was uh, Ice and Macca. Who, who got, Ice were, got mugged by a young fan who ran onto the ground to get a picture. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So you you've got those two, but before them, uh, Maddo was he he led the charge. He went around, did didn't miss one one part of the high five, stadium. High five for anyone that wanted it, uh, with a big smile on his face and just engaging with the fans. Yeah, yeah, and um, he, as you say, I think I think he enjoys being at the club. I think he wants to be to remain at the club. And you you just have to think to yourself, well, let's try to make it happen. I don't. I mean, I could be I could be wrong. I don't know whether we have to come up with a an offer that's equal or better than than other clubs. It's harder to get a player to leave a club. In, in not saying all instances, no. but in many instances, the the incumbent club is in the box seat to be able to retain a player, uh, re- able to retain a happy player, a player who enjoys being at a club, a player who enjoys playing with the players that they're with, maybe playing under that coach, the systems that's there at the club. They feel that they play their best footy. They they feel like they belong somewhere. So it, it takes, it can often take a, a good chunk of coin to get a player away from somewhere that where they're happy. And, I'd like to think that the Eels can get close to or close enough to a rival offer, let's say it's from the Dolphins, that would have uh, Ryan Madison staying. But, of course, it depends on, on how they value him. Maybe maybe there's still a concern about the concussions. We, we don't know. But as far as I'm concerned, he has to be a priority. So I know I know that that's probably not the discussion point that we would normally put into our instant reaction, but given the form of Ryan Madison and it, where, where he's featured again in best on field, I think it was well worth a discussion. And uh, getting back to the 3-2-1, uh, 
there was a few players you could have picked for the one on my end. I know you gave it to Maddo justifiably as we went on a long chat about there. I, I was a bit conflicted last night because it was tough. You know, Mitchell Moses played a, a huge part in the game, but he also did get sinbinned, kicked that clutch conversion. Dylan Brown, very solid. Bowie Simonson, pretty solid for the most part. Did have one bad defensive miss that led to a try. Uh, through the forwards, you mentioned Isaiah Papali'i already. Um, the player I went with, though, and I wouldn't say he had an incredible game, but I just felt like it was a really solid showing after a number of tough weeks in a gig that he's not used to out in that left wing was Hayes Perham. Scored two tries. Uh, you know, his ruck numbers weren't incredible. He went, it's actually been bumped up a little bit, but he went 11 runs for 86 metres last night. But they were tough. Manly tried to pick on him, and he did a good job of not getting uh, turtled or, or rolled back in those ruck hit-ups. And between that and the fact he was really, really unlucky not to have an indirect try assist for Quinton Gufferson's opening or would-be opening try, um, I, I thought... By and large, it was his best showing on the wing in very difficult circumstances, and that was worth a nod. Yeah, that really, that first try, it was my take on it was that the Manly player was acting. He was as a never blocker. playing the ball. He didn't, he, he yeah. literally uh, leaned back into Hayes Perham to try and, uh, like, I wouldn't say he should be penalised for the blocker, but it was clear that he wasn't playing at the ball and had no part in trying to contest for it. Well, I, I don't know what Hayes was expected to do there because he was clearly competing for the ball. When you watch the footage, his eyes are looking up at the ball as he leaps into the air, looking to looking to contest the ball. Then when contact is made with the uh, Manly player, that's when his gaze goes down at the Manly player to see what have I just hit. Yeah, you know, exactly. What's happening here. Clearly had eyes and, to the ball and the entire time. And I think that split second, that split second, where his attention was diverted by colliding with someone, that's where the penalties occurred. But this is another and area of the game that is wildly inconsistent. We saw it last week with the Roosters where uh, Quentin Gufferson was obviously tackled in the air in the second half in a contest for the ball that was then moved towards a, a tackle. We get hammered for that almost every time it goes up that way. Uh, we Because we, we often get guys like Dylan Brown and, and Will Penasini contesting those sort of kicks. And they always get done for, if you're competing for the ball and make incidental contact with the guy, you're deemed to have made a tackle. And we, we saw the reverse this game here where the jumper offensively got hammered for jumping too early despite getting checked by a blocker. So, God knows. It is just a mess. Yeah. Now, now, we've been going for some time with this Instant Reaction podcast this week. It's a bit longer than normal because we're not doing it straight after yeah. full-time and we've had a bit of time to uh, – to, Think about how the game panned out. Only and one we have thing a bit left of reflection. Sorry? There's only one thing left on the to-do list now. <laughs> we just got to quickly go through that uh, cup game. Well, that's what I was going to say. We've got that. <laughs> we've got the cup game. But what I really want to focus on in our discussion with that is the choices around the wingers. Mm -hmm. Because we've had both wingers who, who were uh, first nominated for first grade in people's teams this year being Sean Russell and Mike Sivo have both returned from uh, long layoffs with injury. Sivo's certainly nearly a year out with his ACL that he's come back from, but both are now, uh, well, uh, Sean's got two games under his belt. Uh, Sivo's got one game under his belt. Mate, how did you see their, their game? last night. Yeah, we, we saw Micah score the double. We saw Sean Russell get rewarded with a 
who was playing right centre at that point in time, but he backed up nicely from the other side of the field to score a try on the post for a trademark big dive before the line, which was great to see. Yeah, I, I thought both players, I won't say they played within themselves, but they clearly went out there trying to physically impose themselves every set, sort of just trying to manage themselves coming back from those injuries. For Micah, he could have had a hat-trick or, or four, even four tries if he just had a, a probably uh, been closer to his peak. Uh, but it was good to see him get that double, and he had a couple of good ruck runs. And I think we actually got, yeah, we do have meterage here now. Sorry, one second, we just pull up the meters. So he still managed to crank out 150 meters off 14 carries, which was really good to see. Sean Russell, 115 off 10. So both players were productive quite clearly. And yeah, I think it was just a good confidence game for both of them. Uh, I imagine that the game, uh, was it two weeks ago now, where we played Penrith prior to Magic Round, which was then a buy in this competition. I, I would have hazarded a guess that Sean Russell would have pulled up pretty sore having come back from an injury of that catastrophic magnitude where he had a number of broken ribs and a punctured lung. So yeah, just getting through this game and, and each player getting a trial or two to their name would be a big shot in the arm. Yeah. Uh, so what's your thoughts? Do you think that BA is tempted? Yeah, that, that's the question this week. Eight-day turnarounds, so you got some time on your hands. The way I see it, is you assume no, but you give them the first couple of sessions in this week to put themselves into calculation to be picked. If they can get through the first field session, that might be a bit more rugged, given that you've got a bit of time to heal up before the weekend. If they can get through that field session and, and look reasonable, I think they come to the calculations. If they come to the calculations, then they, they go right through that week and they, they're given up until kickoff to be right, if that's the case. Yeah, it was as uh, well. I'll echo your thoughts. They were uh, solid performances in what was uh, for the people who, who are unaware of the scores. That was a twenty-six to six victory over the Blacktown Workers Sea Eagles, and <laughs> sounds uh, terrible. And they were say leading. It. They were leading. Uh, the Sea Eagles were actually leading six to four from memory at, at half time. time. Yep. last night with, uh, and then the Eels. Well, the the try scorers, uh, you. You mentioned before that you had a double from uh, from Sevo. Sean Russell got across, Wiramu Greg, and Eliel Zakim. So, um, and then three conversions from Jordan Rankin. But um, uh, in in that performance last night, uh, Wiramu Greg uh, was certainly one of the best out out there on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, Jakey Arthur had a solid game. I thought uh, Eliel Zakim had a solid game before he went off. Um, I thought Samuel Luizio was having one of his uh, best performances at centre. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, I put the dead set mockers on him because I was talking to you in this game about how good it's been to see Samuel just get a half a season's worth of games under his belt and you just get to see what he can do and, it, and it's good football. And then he copped a – was it off the ball when he got hit? I think it was, yeah. yeah. I think he, he ended up being a penalty. He copped a nasty shot off the ball – and I don't know if it was precautionary or something did go wrong, but they brought uh, Solo Naduki into the game, who had a, had a pretty good game, actually. He bumped out to right wing and then put Sean Russell to right centre. Uh, but yeah, Luizu nearly had a couple of tries, just held up over line in the first half, played tough, and he had a huge cover chase on the sole Manly try, uh, which was actually a big run against play. I think after the Cine, the connection wasn't quite there on a short pass, and the Manly uh, Ringus Eagles scooped it up and went the distance, about 85 metres, 90 metres, and Louise, who gave chase on the other side of the field, and if there was a video replay, I would have been very interested to see if he'd lodged the, uh, dislodged the ball in the put-down because he was pretty confident and appealed to the referee, but they awarded the try. 
Uh, but yeah, shame to see Samuel leave the field. But the other player in the back line that continue—I mean, he did have one bad moment where he didn't pass to Jake Arthur for a pretty easy try. But the other player in the back line who continues to impress is Zach Sini. Eighteen runs, two hundred thirty-nine meters. He's just got a little shake and bake and some post-contact power. That it, there's enough there that's intriguing and makes you want to work with. You you came up with the memorable line just after we signed him, um, and having a bit of a look at him was that he just needs the West Tigers coached out of him. And I think there's that's there's a fair call in that because when you watch him play, you can see that he doesn't quite run the right line, mm. or he doesn't quite he doesn't quite make the right decision and when he just makes when he's, with it's time to link to, with another player. That's right. Now I think he's playing centre. It's probably a fair call that he's an out and out winger because he's he's got the he's got the tackle busting qualities which which could be ideal for a centre as well as a winger. But it's it's just that finesse part of his game. It's he's all power and energy and tackle busting, but the finesse level just isn't quite there to uh, be able to execute maybe the the type of passes that centres seem to be able to get away, be it the flick pass or 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 just being able to set up the the outside man, and it's. And it comes down to, as I said, I think those lines that he's running and that uh, ability to make the uh, decision about the support players. And he's a bloke that, I mean, you look at him on the field and it doesn't feel like he's that tall. And I feel like it's, it's the same thing I had with Bailey Simonson, where I wouldn't say he's like a short or a mid or anything, but it doesn't feel like he's that tall. But you look at his profile, he's 189 centimetres. Like, he's oh, yeah. prototypical size. So, yeah, yeah. He, 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 is, he is a unit. Uh, so, uh, yeah, in... Interesting to watch his progress. I look. I think that it's. Uh, I think BA might have given a bit of a hint in the post-match presser when he he spoke about um, how Sivo's lungs were hurting. Him. Yeah, <laughs> that he, he, you know, basically it's basically a hint that conditioning doesn't come easy to Micah. It's it's something that's not a secret. Oh, I mean, he's he's a, he's clearly there's a lot of science on this, and obviously. You can work hard to try and increase your aerobic capacity, but there are some people that are just wired to be white twitch, red twitch, and, and there's other terminology for it. But there are some people essentially wired to be explosive burst athletes, some guys that are hybrid, and some guys that are clearly like aerobic endurance guys. And Micah clearly falls into that first category. He is a explosive, fast twitch athlete, very powerful, can you know do some stuff that makes you makes you jaw drop. But at the same time, he has to work hard to get that aerobic aerobic capacity into him. Well, basically, he's the polar opposite to Clint Gutherson. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a, a fantastic balance on the spectrum there. You've got on one side, you've got the explosive, fast-switch fiber athlete in Mike Acevo. On the other side, you've got the ultra-endurance, uh, you know, Mr. Fitness, Quentin Gutherson. And then, obviously, every now and then, you're going to get a guy in the middle, like maybe Semi Radradra, who, you know, just everything came easy to him. Same thing with the guru. We already had this discussion, though. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, Mike is going to need to get some gas in, into the tank, some lung uh, air into the lungs. Uh, but now, we, we sort of mentioned off Henley, it's now post-round 11. Suddenly, you're, you know, hopefully we don't need to call them due to injuries, but your Zach Sinis, your Samuel Loizus, your uh, Kai Rodwell's Offahy Ogden when he's back from the shoulder injury, uh, Kai Rodwell, Ellie Elsgaham, all those guys are suddenly eligible for first grade selection with no downsides. So the Eels yeah. have a, a whole new roster to call upon. Um, if they're in a situation like last year, 
where there's, you know, essentially a dead rubber to be played. They've got a chance to blood some guys. We saw, you know, we got to see some cool stuff last year against Penrith where for 40 minutes plus, our reserve grade team went up against a fully stacked Penrith, uh, eventual premiers, Penrith Panthers, and took a tour. So yep. there's going to be opportunities for these guys if they, they stay healthy, A, and B, stay in form. And we've already mentioned some of them. I'm really looking forward to seeing Kai Rodwell, Ellie Oskaham, Ofaki Ogden. I think they're the big three for me. Um, but Brendan Hans too. That's another guy that should be in the mix as well. So there's some names there that we can start seeing in the coming weeks and months. Yeah. So uh, overall, mates, um, we're happy to get a, to get those two points. We think that there was maybe more to like out of the uh, performance than what might have been the original take. And uh, we like, move like on we to said, the Raiders this week. A win is a win, mate. And obviously that doesn't mean you just gloss over any issues there. We talked about some of the low IQ options and and other pact- other factors in this game. But Manly have had the ascendancy of the Parramatta Eels in recent games. And it was good to see the Eels finally flip the script. And I think even with Manly's ascendancy, I think the Eels were still 9 from 15 heading into last night under Brad Arthur against the Seagulls. So firmly in our favour up until the last three or four games. And to make it 10 from 16 is a, a nice little reflection on uh, what has largely been a one-sided match up until the last couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, mate, we're, uh, we're sorry that we've got this instant podcast coming out, uh, the instant reaction coming out a little bit later than we normally would. Overdue and over time, the two great yeah. pieces. <laughs> uh, that's we, it. So uh, on a night where you're probably going to be overloaded with television coverage of election results. You know, you've always got the TCT podcast to have a listen to and uh, as, as your alternative. And what could be better than listening to a bit of Eels talk? That's it, mate. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. If you're out there at the Leagues Club at Jack's Bar and Girl, we love you guys. That was an absolute blast. All technical issues aside, it was so fun. But until, what is it going to be, uh, a Wednesday, Thursday recording, be back to a Thursday recording next week. So we'll catch you guys on Thursday for the preview podcast. Going to have a new Paris Stories dropping soon as well, so keep an eye out on that. But as always, post-game action on TCT. I think Goal's got his grades up. There's some fantastic commentary about the state of officiating there that I wanted to mention the podcast, but I'm going to save it for the grades. So go out there and have a read of that, and I'll jump in and drop a comment. But yeah, keep safe. We'll catch you guys on the other side. Go to your wheels.